Well, amen, family. Y'all good? Everybody good? Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be together uh, to dive into God's word. And so if you have a Bible, let me go ahead and get you to turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be in verses 17 through 32. So a few weeks ago, I think it's been about three weeks, I think now or so, uh, we we're looking at verses 7 through 16, and if you remember what we saw in that time, uh, we saw God's plan for the health of his church, which are spiritually gifted leaders, and then God's purpose for the health of his church, spiritually mature Christians. And so this evening, we're going to, by God's grace, finish up chapter 4, and as you turn there or scroll there in your mobile devices or tablets or whatnot, uh, let me ask God for his help. Let me pray. God, thank you for how you are already moving in our time, God. Thank you for um, yeah, your spirit that's among us. Um, thank you, God, that um, you are working in us and through us in this time now. God, I pray that you would be glorified through the preached word. I pray, God, that um, we would all hear you and that you that no one would hear me, but that they would hear your word. And as they hear your word, that they would obey you. And so, God, use me for your glory, for uh, the advancement of your truth, your gospel. And I pray, God, that your word would do the work in all of our hearts. Glorify yourself. Be made much of. And we love you. We love your word. We cherish your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17, reads as follows. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So this is God's word. Amen. So growing up, I was a huge Ellen Iverson fan. Uh, still am to this day. Uh, some of you all. Uh, yeah, growing up, may have had Jordan, Michael Jordan as your favorite player of all time. Mine was A, or, or in this time, maybe, maybe LeBron James or Kevin Durant or whoever that might be. Uh, that may be your favorite player of all time, but mine was Ellen Iverson. Uh, what I loved about AI was that he was just sick with the game, man. He was just, he was just nice with it, uh, just, just nice with it. He had mad heart. He was, he was tough. Uh, he literally literally changed the game of basketball. Uh, I wanted to be just like him. Like, seriously, I wanted to be just like him. Like, back in the day, 
Uh, I had multiple pair of his shoes. I had the braids. I had the arm sleeve. I had the finger bands. I had the jerseys. I promise you, I was literally trying to be AI. I even modeled my game after his. Um, even modeled my, my game after his, and, and cats in my hometown would, would call me little AI uh, because I was trying to be so much like him on, on the court and whatnot. I took pride in that. Uh, so when I, when I put on his jersey, I felt like I was him. I thought I was. I, I felt like I was him. I felt like I was unstoppable. Like, you couldn't tell me anything. Well, in our passage this evening, uh, Paul is talking about putting off one thing and putting on something greater than the AI jersey. Uh, We are to put off the old man and put on Christ. So if you're taking notes this evening, here's the main idea of our passage is this, is that if you're a Christian, you have put off the old self and have put on Christ. If you're a Christian, you have put off the old self and have put on Christ. Christ. That's our main idea that we're going to be teasing out. So two points for us this evening. Two points. So point number one, put off your old self. We'll see that in verses 17 through 19. And then point number two, put on Christ. And we'll see that from verses 20 through 32. So point one, put off your old self. Two, put on Christ. So point one, put off your old self. Look back with me at verse 17. And it reads, it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so Paul here makes a serious statement. Uh, some Bible translations use the word insist or affirm uh, in the place of testify. Or I, I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. So this is Paul. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. In other words, what Paul is doing, he's letting the Ephesians church know then, and, and even us today, he's letting us know where his authority is. And that's in Jesus. So he, his authority to, to speak to the church at Ephesus and for us to hear his uh, words today, God's word today. Uh, in, in the authority of Christ. And so what is the statement that Paul is making? What, what is this challenge that he's making? The answer is this, is, is that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's what he's saying. That's what the statement is. He's, he's saying, I, in the authority of the Lord, I am telling you, I'm speaking to you, challenging you that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So the term or the label Gentiles just means non-Jews, right? Which is all of us in here. Uh, Non-Jews, but but Paul uh, could be speaking in the ethnic sense, as we saw a couple of months ago now uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, talking about ethnicity as as Gentiles. Uh, But I believe he's also speaking in the moral sense or the being holy sense. And so ethnic and, and moral and being holy sense. So moral meaning right and wrong behavior, right? Good and bad, et cetera, et cetera. Holy meaning you're living a life pleasing to God. Uh, you are living a life that's acceptable to God, pleasing to God, because God has made you holy and you are uh, seeking to, to live a holy life. So Jesus didn't die to make good moral people. He died to make us a holy people. Amen. Amen. So you remember in chapter two, verses one through three, what Paul tells us of everyone uh, before the salvation experience. Right. You can even just look over if you like. In chapter two, verses one through three, what does he say? He says they were and we are uh, before we knew Christ, before we came to know Christ, uh, dead in sin, dead in sin. Right. Dead in our trespasses. And then he says in which you once walked, right? So that's past tense. So uh, yeah, these are the things in which you once walked. So we see that even in our passage this evening in Ephesians 4. So that word walked is there. But then also following the world, right? Following after Satan, held captive, uh, held by Satan's grip, a slave to Satan. And then lastly, he says, children of wrath, right? Children of wrath. But then 
Verses four through nine, he flips everything all upside down, right? It's, it's so good. I have to read it. So uh, Ephesians two verses four through nine, just to remind us. And so we were once dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, headed to hell, deserving of hell. And then verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Amen. It's good news. This is what God has done in all of our lives. So Gentiles who were once separated from Christ, cut off from the culture, the privileges and the benefits of Israel. And they were at one point without hope uh, have been now brought near to Christ. They've been brought near to Christ and have been accepted into God's family and now have hope. Fam, for us in the room who are Christians this evening, this is true of all of us. This is true of you and me. We were once separated from Christ, but now we've been brought near to Christ and he saved us. And uh, as we even heard in the Ezekiel passage that was read earlier, uh, God put his spirit in us. And caused us to walk in his ways. This is mind blowing what, what God has done. So may we rejoice this evening, family, that we are his. We are known by him. We know him and he knows us. Amen. Amen. Something to rejoice over. So in light of all of that, Paul tells Christians then. So he tells the church of Ephesus then and us today that because we've experienced the saving power of God, that we should no longer live in the way we once did when we weren't Christians. So because we have encountered God, we should no longer live in the ways that were opposing to God uh, prior to us coming to know him. So here's how I'm going to walk through the rest of this passage. I want to show us, show you from God's word, seven marks of the old way of life. All right, so seven marks of the old way of life, and these are the sins we are to put off. And then when we get to the second point, I'll show you marks of the new way of life. And so, y'all ready? Here we go. Uh, here are the marks of the old way of life. So number one, and we've already kind of looked at this some, but, but gonna mention it here. So number one, you walk like the Gentiles do. Uh, your lifestyle is marked by sin. So we see that in verse 17a. And so that's, that's one mark of the old life is that you are walking in the ways of the old life. You're still walking in sin. Number two, feudal minds. So that's verse 17b. So what this means is, is that uh, this person, a person who has a feudal mind, uh, is a person who is hopelessly confused. Uh, hopelessly confused. Number three, darkened in your understanding. That's verse 18a, right? You see that in the text? So darkening your understanding, meaning so a person who is darkened in their understanding is, is blind to the truth. They're, they're blind to the truth. They're darkened in their understanding, which then leads to number four, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. And that's verse 18b. So alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance in them. So people like this, per, a person like this is, is ignorant of God and ignorant to the ways of God. So they're alienated because of the ignorance in them. And then number five, hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. So that's verse 18c. One resource defined uh, hardened hearts this way. It says <clears throat> the spiritual condition of persistent unresponsiveness to God and his word, which can rise to the level of rejection and hostility, 
Apart from divinely granted repentance, this condition can harden to a permanent and unchanging state leading to condemnation. I'll read it again. Hardened hearts, one resource defined this way. So a spiritual condition of persistent unresponsiveness to God and his word, which can rise to the level of rejection and hostility. Apart from divinely granted repentance, this condition can harden to a permanent and unchanging state leading to condemnation. This is a scary place when you think like this is a scary place to be, isn't it? To, to think about uh, someone who may have hardened their heart or has a hardened heart. And this isn't the path that any of us want to go down by God's grace. So I'm reminded of uh, an example in scripture of this Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, uh, he had the people of Israel held captive. And we see in this uh, passage of scripture or these chapters of scripture in the book of Exodus that, that God hardened his heart. And then you also see even in there that Pharaoh himself even hardened his own heart. And so God, you know, sent the plagues, right? He sent the 10 plagues, but, but Pharaoh's heart in the end was, was still hardened. So he was an example of this, this definition. You even think about places like Romans 1, right, where, where Paul says there that he's, and even in this passage that we're reading, that he's giving people over to themselves, Right. They they were involved or engaging in uh, different sins, particular sins. They uh, were unresponsive to God uh, as he was calling them unresponsive, unresponsive, rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And then God is like, OK, you reject me. You're unresponsive. Well, I'm giving you over to those very sins that you love, that you enjoy. And so we, we see an example here with Pharaoh and other places in scripture. And so one thing that I want to highlight once again in that definition is that uh, apart from divinely granted repentance, so apart from God granting repentance, uh, this condition can harden to a permanent and unchanging state, right? Leading to condemnation. But praise God that, you know, if, if, if someone was in that particular position and they've rejected God and they kept rejecting, kept rejecting. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, the door was open, but God then closes the door. Um, praise God that in particular situations that he doesn't close the door, that the door is still open and that God can, by his grace, grant repentance. That's the passage that uh, Liz read in Ezekiel 36, where, yeah, God can can Give a new heart. And so I pray this evening, if we know of anybody, right, that we've been family members, friends, uh, co-workers, whomever it might be, that, that, man, you have been sharing the gospel with for many years. Uh, you know, you have been praying for for many years. Keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel. God can save them. Trust him to do the work that only he can do. But be faithful, continue to be faithful in sharing this good news and uh, praying for your particular friend or family member or co-worker. And I pray in the Ezekiel 36 type way, like Liz had already read, as it says, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart. I pray that that would be the case for your friend or for your family member or my friend or family member or whomever it might be, that God will give them a new heart and a new spirit he will put within them. And that he would remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And that then he would put his spirit within them and cause them to walk in his statutes and then be careful to obey his rules. This is Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. And so I pray that, yeah, I pray that at that time, God's appointed time, that it will be the day of salvation for them. So let's keep praying, family. Keep trusting Jesus to do the work that only he can do. Amen? Amen. Number six, callous and given up to sensuality. Uh, that's verse 19a. And so here's how the New Living Translation version puts it. Uh, it says, they have no sense of shame, 
They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So in other words, a person who is, yeah, gripped by the old life or, or in these particular uh, sins, this person is hardened to those sins uh, and they are hardened to the shame of it. And because they don't care, they have given themselves up to all sorts of lustful desires and pleasures. This is what the verse is saying. So think of any lustful desire or pleasure uh, done outside of marriage, uh, God's design and context for, for marriage between a, a man and woman or just even, yeah, even even in, within a marriage or, yeah, things that um, God forbid could could happen in that regards. And so a person continuing in these type of things, um, yeah, uh, struggling with these particular sins, hardened to the sin of it, hardened to the shame of it. This is the type of person that, that Paul is referring to when he says that, man, this person has become callous and they have given up themselves to all sorts of sensuality and particular sins. And then lastly, number seven, uh, they indulge in all kinds of impure acts. They indulge in all kinds of impure acts. And so impurity is their appetite and is what they hunger for. They, yeah, hunger for impure things and thirst for impure things. And so these are the marks of the old way of life, right? And so, yeah, for non-Christians, this is the list that marks their life. This, for us as Christians, was once what marked us, right? This same list, things that we were engaged in before we... By God's grace, before God saved us, things that we were known for, things that we engaged in. And for any unbelievers, uh, this is what marks their life. And then on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming for anyone who is uh, involved or who is uh, living in what this text is saying is the uh, the old way of life, the old man, Colossians 3, 6, referring to that, that the wrath of God is coming. And so we don't want the wrath of God to come to a particular person that's, that's stuck in that, right? We, by God's grace, want to see them come to know the Lord and put off the old self and then put on the new self, to put on the new man. And so if anyone... Uh, didn't know the Lord, uh, we would call them to repentance. We would call them to repentance and faith and to, to trust in what God has done alone for them. And this is what we did, right? By God's grace, for those of us who know Jesus, this is what we did. We yeah, heard the call of the gospel and God, yeah, caused our hearts and our minds and our ears to respond to him and he saved us. So then for Christians, this list shouldn't mark our lives anymore. These things that we just looked at, these are the things that shouldn't mark our lives, but we're all still sinful, aren't we? <laughs> I'm sinful. We're all sinful. We still struggle with sin. I think one of the things that's a, a distinction is that now as Christians, our relationship to sin should be different, right? At one point, when we were in the world and living lives that oppose God, that are unpleasing to God, we were a slave to those things, right? Romans 6 talks about this. We were a slave to sin. But then Jesus breaks the chains of that slavery uh, he frees us. And so although we may still struggle with particular sins, uh, our relationship to that sin should look different. What should happen is, by God's grace, is that as we are Christian and as we grow and as we continue to grow, um, yeah, that sin pattern should decrease. Right? That whatever those sins are, still may struggle. We live in a fallen world. It's hard. 
But our relationship to sin, one, we shouldn't love it anymore, right? John 3 talks about that, that at one point we loved the darkness. We hated the light. So now as Christians, we should love the light and we should hate the darkness. And we then should pursue holiness. We should pursue righteousness, right? And so maybe, maybe you're here, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you're here and you're struggling with some of those sins that are mentioned, right? Um, my encouragement would be for, for all of us to confess those particular sins. Confess those sins to God. Repent of those sins. And continue to believe the good news that you believe that conversion. So confess, repent, turn away from those things. Receive God's mercy. Receive his mercy in the gospel. Um, maybe some Christians have been struggling with particular sins or wrestling with particular uh, struggles. And because of that, you've been wrestling with assurance of salvation. Maybe, maybe it's not you. Maybe you know of some people that have struggled with that or are struggling with that because of particular sins. If you or if they have repented of their sins and believed upon Jesus, then you and they are saved and then sealed by the Holy Spirit. Right. We saw that in chapter one, verse 13, and we'll see that later on in our text. But chapter four, but verse 30, if that's true, if we have repented of our sins and trusted Jesus by faith, then you are saved. And your friend or your family member or your coworker who is struggling with assurance of salvation, if they if, if that is true of them, then they are saved and they are sealed. And as Romans eight tells us, there's nothing that can pluck you out of the hand of God. Amen. Amen. And so my encouragement to to them would be what we mentioned in the second part is that they they continue to to confess, to repent and to believe this good news of what Christ has done and preach the gospel to themselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves as well and be reminded of, I mean, we, we, we preach the gospel when we go on the block, we preach the gospel in all different places, this, that, and third, and then sometimes we forget to preach it to ourselves. And we need to be reminded of that same good news that is for us on a daily basis. Amen. Amen. So we put off old self and then we put on number two, put on Christ. And so we put on Christ. Let's look back at verse 20. and We'll walk through these just like the first point. So if you're a Christian, you have put off the old self by God's grace, but it's a daily putting off of the old self, as we've been talking about. And you have put on Christ like an Ellen Iverson jersey. You have, you have put on him like an AI jersey. And so here are the marks of the new way of life. And I have nine marks as I see them in the text. And so here's number one. You've learned the way of Christ. You've learned, that's number one, learn the way of Christ. That's verses 20 through 21. It says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him. And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I love how Dr. Tony Marita comments on these two verses. He says uh, that Christ is the subject, the teacher and the context of our teaching. So when that verse says this is not the way you have learned Christ, think about man. He says you. Yeah, you have learned a person. Is yeah, like our doctrine our beliefs is rooted in a person. And so he's the subject. He's the he's the teacher. Uh, and he's the context for our teaching. Uh, that's that's just so amazing that he is all of these particular things. So Christ is to be our curriculum and he's to be our teacher and he's to be our school. This is what Paul is getting at here. So then number two, 
You put off the old self and you put on the new self. So that's verses 22 through 24. So 22 says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the call to follow Christ is a call to die to self, but to live unto him. To live the new self that is granted to you through Christ. Right. So remember what Jesus says in the gospel of Luke. He says in Luke 9, 23, he says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does it mean to deny self? I love how the New Living Translation uh, translates this. It says you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. You can't follow Jesus thinking you're still going to have your way, right? This isn't Burger King. Jesus calls every follower of his to humble themselves before him, to give up our way of living and accept Jesus' way of living, to give up the path we thought was the right one to walk on and walk on the right path that Jesus has laid out for us. So essentially, denying yourself is a call to give up your life, to give up my life. So some examples of what giving up our lives and we may have already done this and we we have to continue to give up our lives. And so we just want to remind us that that yeah, the call of Christ is a, a daily call to give up our lives. Right. It didn't just happen at conversion, but it's happening all throughout our sanctification that we continue to die to self. We continue to put off the old man and we continue to put on the new man. Right. So some of those examples of giving up our lives could be one. Uh, you give up the control you thought you had over your life to the one who is really in control. So you give up your control and how you would like to or how I would like to control my life and control my schedule, control things. So you give up the control you thought you had over your life to the one who is really in control. Some of those examples could be maybe maybe your career. Right. Maybe maybe you're in a particular career right now that you wouldn't have chosen, that you wouldn't have thought you would have been doing. Um, but the way the Lord orchestrated your story and the way he continues to write your story is that he has you there uh, for the time he has you there. for However long he's going to have you there for your good and for his glory. And he wants to use you in that particular context or whatever role that might be. So. Career choices, uh, maybe marriage and family. Maybe you uh, desire to, to be married. Uh, maybe you desire to have children, maybe whatever that might be. Um, and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's one of those areas where, you know, you would have hoped to have controlled, would have hoped to have uh, seen differently or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's where you live, maybe... Maybe, yeah, maybe where you live, maybe you would have wanted to live somewhere else or be somewhere else or do something else, whatever that might be. Um, maybe it's, it's, you know, to think about the, the teens in the, in the room, maybe it's, it's even in like school, right? Maybe, maybe some, some particular friends uh, that are at your school that you would have wanted to be more uh, kikiing it up with or whatever the case may be and, and, and they not vibing with you or whatever the case may be, whatever that thing is, you want to control. But dying to yourself means that you give up your control or the control you thought you had to the one who is in control. Y'all tracking with me? Then number two, maybe there are some relationships that you have or are in that are causing you to walk in a way that's opposing to God, right? Maybe it's a particular friend or whoever that might be that, uh, yeah, it's causing you to, to, to sin. Um, God is calling us, calling you, calling me, if that's true, to deny that for his ways. He's calling us to deny that. For his ways, not saying that God doesn't want to use you to reach that particular friend or to reach that particular family member. 
But maybe there's some 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 relationships that that God is 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 reorienting or changing that once was was causing uh, yeah you to sin or disobey Him, whatever that might mean for you. He's calling you to deny that for His way. Number three, lastly on this one, uh, maybe there's some secret sins or struggles in your life that you haven't shared, right? Uh, with your family in Christ. Um, well, God knows and he sees, right? He knows, he sees, but, but maybe you haven't shared it uh, with your discipling pod leader or maybe another trusted member or, you know, a pastor or friend or whomever it might be, you're ashamed of it, right? You feel guilty. And your way would be to keep it hidden, to keep it in the dark. When God calls you and me to deny ourselves and to then bring that to the light, to bring it to the light, to see the, the, the blessedness of man. Like, you know, when we confess, as the Bible tells us, to confess our sins one to another, uh, to see the, the beauty in man, we're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all in need of Jesus. And this is a gospel centered community. And so nobody should be and we won't look down on anybody. Because of sin, instead, we're not going to look down on anybody. We're going we're gonna to call one another to look up to Christ because we need him. We need him to help us. We're all sinful. We all do things, say things, think things that is not pleasing to God. But thanks be to God that he shows grace and he shows mercy. And I think one of those ways that he shows grace and he shows mercy is through the church and through the relationships that we have in the church to be able to to confess our sins to one another and receive freedom and healing and encouragement and joy from someone taking us to the scriptures, for someone praying with us, for someone holding us accountable so that we might be holy. Amen. So the parallel passage to uh, this passage that we're looking at, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, is Colossians 3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through this for time's sake, but uh, you can turn there or you can write down this reference and, and read it later. But I'm going to read through this. And so Colossians 3, starting at verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. So just just wanted to read that over us and let the words of of God wash over us. But you see the parallel from Ephesians 4. You, you see the call to put off something, right? To put off sin and to then put on Jesus. So that's what we see here in Colossians 3. And then number three, uh, you speak the truth. We see that in verse 25. So therefore, back in Ephesians 4, therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth of this neighbor, for we are members one of another. How, how often do we lie to our family in Christ, y'all? How, how often do we lie to one another, to a spouse or, or to a close friend? And, and here's the example. When we are asked, how are you doing? And our response, like just boom, right off the bat, we respond with good. But sometimes, truthfully, that may not be the case. It may seem small to you, but that's actually a lie. And there are plenty of other examples that we could use in that. But the point is, is that, that Paul, I believe here is making, is that God is truth. And when we tell the truth and live in the truth, we imitate God. When we lie and live in lies, we're imitating the father of lies, that being Satan. And so want to encourage us as a as a family. Right. As, as Paul even, you know, bears that here where he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Want to encourage us that truth produces unity in family. Right. Lies can do damage. To a family's unity. And so may we as brothers and sisters. Seek to to be truthful. With one another. Uh, Truthful with how we're doing. Truthful with one another. In whatever way that might mean. May we seek to be truthful. With one another. So number four. Be angry but sin not. And that's verses 26 to 27. He says be angry and do not sin. Do not let uh, the sun go down on your anger. And so then he says in, in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. There's, there's a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Uh, righteous anger is when we're angry about the things that anger God. Uh, for example, like you think about different injustices. I mean, even think about here recently, right? Hearing the, the verdict uh, from the cow... Rittenhouse trial, right? Uh, how that can just produce, yeah, anger, right? And and just yeah, we're just we're just frustrated about the justice system and how it can seem uh, fair for you know one particular context and just unfair. Uh, so so we get angry about those different things. Unrighteous anger can be when you or me, for an example, are. Angry with a, a, a family member or a friend or a coworker because they did or said something uh, that we didn't like. Now we're beefing with them, right? That's something that they did or said. And now we're, we're angry with them. We're beefing with them. But maybe they did something that caused legitimate righteous anger. Maybe they did that. But you or me responded sinfully. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. We responded sinfully. Your response verbally uh, or your thoughts or, or actions were, were sinful. Um, in light of that, though, I want to remind us if, if that has happened to you or happened to me, that there's still grace for us. Right? There's, there's still grace for us. In that, yeah, God calls us to repent of that and maybe even calls us to, to ask forgiveness from that particular coworker or friend or family member that we may have responded to in an unrighteous manner. Uh, and so there's grace for us. We ask for forgiveness from the people that we may have sinned against in this way. And then we seek in response to them in godly ways. Uh, we seek to, to respond in, in godly ways the next time. And so then number five, uh, verse 28, not a thief. So number five, not a thief. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, Notice Paul challenges thieves to stop stealing, but work so that they may be in a position to help others in need. Right. He tells them to, to, to stop thieving, to stop stealing, but to work, to work hard. So that they might be able to be a blessing to others. Uh, Number six. 
No corrupting talk, uh, but only what builds up. And that's verse 29. So it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So a question is, do you use profanity? As a Christian, do you use profanity? I know the new thing it seems like in Christianity right now is to cuss. I don't know where some folks have gotten that from. It's not the way of the Bible. Uh, we see here in this passage and other passages that it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I won't spend a whole lot of time here, but just want to think about like does cuss words, does using profanity build up or does it tear down? Is it, is it something that's uh, encouraging? You know, so so just just, yeah, thinking about that. The other question I want to encourage us to think about is, do we respond in ways to people that are offensive? So you think verbally or via text or email that may be belittling or demeaning or rude or sharp or short? Is that another thing that is evident of us when we think about, man, it says, let no corrupting talk. Do we respond to people in these ways? Do you gossip? Do I gossip? Gossiping is, is another way to, uh, yeah, I believe, yeah, be corrupt in, in talking and in speech and doesn't help to build up, but, but can, can tear down relationships, right? Tear down friendships. Do your words build up people or do, do they tear down people? So I believe here that Paul calls all Christians to uh, watch what we say and to watch how we say it. Right. Then number seven uh, says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so that's verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this verse is tied to verse 29. But really all the sins uh, that were mentioned in this passage above and as a whole that grieves the Holy Spirit, like God doesn't want us to yeah, live in sin. It grieves him. He, he doesn't want us to engage in, in sinful acts. And so a question that I thought was very convicting from Dr. Marita, he says on talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, a question that will help you determine if you are grieving the Holy Spirit is this. Will what I'm about to say or do please the spirit or grieve the spirit? So when we think about grieving the Holy Spirit, a question to help us think through whether or not we are grieving the spirit would be what with what I'm about to say or do. Is it pleasing to the spirit? Is it pleasing to God or is it grieving God? Then number eight, put away the things in this list. Verse 31. So Paul calls us to put away these things. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so clamor referring to kind of so like noisy shouting. Right. So putting away like like uh, rage. Right. Putting away uh, any rage that's in us. Malice meaning the intention or desire to do evil. So having like an ill will. So so God's word calls us to put away bitterness. Right. Wrath, rage, anger, clamor, slander. Let that be all put away from us and malice. But then number nine, lastly, the last one, mark of, of a Christian from this passage, it says, be this type of person. Be the type of person in this list, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So totally, so, so different, right? Opposites. You see the list before that in verse 32. Compared to the list in verse 32, where Paul calls us to be that type of person. So the question for us in closing, what is your life? What is my life marked by? Is it is it marked by the things that were listed in the first list? Or is it marked by the things that were in the second list? And so 
wherever we land on that, whether we land on the first list, the call for us will be to then turn from those things, right? And to turn to Jesus, turn from those sins, as we've seen in this text and even read in Colossians 3, that the wrath of God is coming against those who are living that way. So turn from those things that God hates. Turn to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you and wants you to know him and to cherish him. And then if it's the second list, praise God, we still need to stay humble because we still have a fight. We must on a daily basis continue to turn from sin. Uh, when when our as soon as we wake up out of our beds, when our alarm clocks goes off or whatever the case may be, man, sin waiting, ready. Right when we rise is a time for us to die, to die to self and to die to sin and to continue to put on Jesus. And so we keep fighting sin by the power of the spirit. So I don't want to make it seem like it's us. It's not us. We can't do it in our own selves. It doesn't matter how much stuff we we try to yeah, put as a fence or put as a, as a barrier or whatever it case be, those things can be helpful, right? But we have to trust God's spirit. We have to trust God and trust him because he is the one that's fighting for us. So we look to him and we trust Jesus as our only hope. And so we put off sin and we put on Christ. This is the call for all of us as Christians. This is the call for for all who we encounter in the world as we seek to share the gospel. We, we share the good news of Christ and we call people to turn from their sin, to turn to Christ and put on him. So as the worship team comes back up, let me pray for us as we close this, as I close this this evening. Father, I pray, uh, yeah, I pray that you would help us to continue to put off sin, to continue to put on you, Lord Jesus, and help us, Lord, for us as Christians in the room, Lord, help us to not trust in our own efforts and our own works to do that, God, but to trust in what Jesus has done for us in our place. God, if someone doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would soften their heart. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, yeah, help them to, to see and to know that the things that were listed in that first list, all those different sins, are what you oppose and they are not your way. But God, that you call them to your way. And so, God, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that they would see you as beautiful, that they would, that, the gospel that they heard would be their delight, would be something that they desire, change their desires, change their hearts. Change us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.